Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, you're very welcome to The Tonight Show. Media Minister Catherine Martin faces tough questions at a Doyle committee tonight and defends her handling of the RTE controversy. Is it the case from your perspective that your blood was up going up to RT that night to do prime time and you were going to show not just RT, but sooner or later, like who was boss? Knowing my responsibility in, in a crisis that I need to be in full possession of all facts at all times. Okay. Catherine Martin defends her annoyance at Shuni Rahlik for not giving her complete information, but also confirms that she knew the RTE chair was on the brink of resigning before she went to national TV and gave RTE the story to put to her. Minister Catherine Martin has been facing tough questions tonight at the Oireachtas Media Committee over the resignation of RTE Chair Shun Nirahli. The Minister took part in a three-hour hearing this evening that is ongoing and defended her handling of the ongoing RTE controversy under at times intense questioning from politicians. Well, let's first go live to Leinster House where we're joined by our political correspondent Gavin Riley for the very latest on this. So, Gavin, we have got used to some bombshells at this um, at Oireachtas Committee this evening. I think the one from this evening, from the Minister's contribution, was this idea that Shuni Rahali was on the brink of resigning because the, the minister had informed her that she was going to be sending her a letter, a letter of censure because she had been misinformed. So there clearly was communication before the primetime interview between the minister and the chair. Yeah, there have been ongoing contact between the department and the then chair all day where basically it was made very clear that Catherine Martin was understandably quite annoyed because the information that she had been given by Shuni Rallig on Monday and Wednesday was information that Catherine Martin had then gone and repeated at press conferences. And she did feel like she was justified in making clear her annoyance that it turns out that information she had been given wasn't actually correct. Now, we will get to the whole question mark around what she knew about Shuni Rallig's emotions before this. But first of all, it is worth playing to our viewers one clip where she explains that she didn't think there was any necessarily bad faith involved, that although she did need to articulate to Shuni Rallig her annoyance at how things had turned out, she had never questioned anyone's intentions. At no stage have I said um, it was intentional. Um, but the problem is, if I'm not getting the correct information, if the chair has been pressed on numerous occasions to for clarification in relation to her um, role in approving, for example, the, the packages, um, in her role in knowledge of, of a, another exit package. If I'm not getting the correct information, um, how, how can I act properly as a minister? How can I be a minister in charge of the facts if the facts are not being given to me? 
Now, when you hear those remarks from Catherine Martin, what it makes you're about to hear, it makes it a little bit more difficult to understand because Catherine Martin there righteously expressing annoyance and wondering how exactly she can have some faith in a minister if it turns out that she's not getting correct information. A lot of this evening's meeting went over the timeline of what happened last Thursday. Catherine Martin having already agreed to go on prime time anyway and then separately having this ongoing engagement through her officials with Shuni Raleigh. What has emerged today is that Shuni Raleigh was already on the precipice of resigning anyway and we're going to hear in a moment a clip where the Arts Minister speaks to the Fianna Fáil TD Christopher Sullivan about all of that. What has emerged inside the last hour is that in advance of going on prime time anyway no matter what she knew about Shuni Raleigh's emotions and her state and whether she might have been on the brink of going Catherine Martin not alone wrote to Shuni Raleigh to express her annoyance but also invited her in for a meeting the following morning. What's more she then went out to RTE learned that the story might have been about to break in another outlet and told RTE that it was about to come up, telling them she was happy to take all of those questions. So Catherine Martin effectively handed RTE the story and asked to be asked about it, all the while knowing that Shuni Radley was likely to resign even for receiving a verbal scolding, let alone one on national television. She was indicating she, she might resign if I sent a letter. OK. Um, but I was just hopeful that, that she should reflect and and think about having a meeting with me. Uh, Gavin, the Taoiseach and senior cabinet ministers have been out this week showing their support for Catherine Martin, but she was under a certain level of pressure going in there tonight. How did she perform, do you think, given that pressure? There's something of a golden rule about how these star chambers, if you like, have begun to work in the last couple of years. They've been something of a feature for, for political life in Ireland for about seven years now, where routinely if there's a big scandal that a minister is called in either to a committee or to the Dáil Chamber itself for questioning. And the golden rule about how they survive it is that it might look like they're being maximally transparent by making themselves available for dull questioning for hours on end. But ultimately what they need to do is actually put no new information out there. So they need to give the appearance of being transparent but actually also appear like they've left it all out there. Those are salient developments from Catherine Martin tonight. The idea that she knew that Shuni Rattling wasn't prepared to meet her, wasn't even prepared to receive a written scolding and was likely to resign if she got one, then going on television saying that she was trying to smooth it over and trying her best not to make Shuni Rattling's position untenable. It's very hard to square that with the idea that she went out to Montrose and wanted to let RTE know that if the story broke, she was happy to take questions about it. She was in effect, telling Miriam O'Callaghan this was an issue she was prepared to discuss, all the while knowing that Juni Raleigh was likely to quit as a result. These things are ordinarily aimed at trying to put an end to the story. I dare say it might only put fresh fuel to the fire. I mean that there are still more questions for the Minister to face when she's making more statements in the Chamber tomorrow. All right, Gavin, we're going to leave that there for now, but there will be more from Gavin a little later in the programme. Here in studio this evening, I'm joined by Green Party TD, Nasa Horrigan, Sinn Féin TD, Matt Carthy, Ireland editor of the Irish Independent, Fionnán Sheehan, and by journalist uh, David Davenpower. You're all very welcome to the programme. To you first, Fionnán. Do you think the minister went on prime time to effectively push out Shuni Rahali before she resigned? Was this about asserting her authority? Was it a bit of a power grab? Is that what really happened? So, uh, Thomas Gould, Matt's colleague, uh, my favourite accent in Leinster House. I have great fondness of North And there is Cork some competition accents. in there, I'd have to yeah. say. I mean, he, he, he put it quite well. He said this was a setup, and it's very hard to disagree with him when you look at the picture that Matt, that 
uh, Gavin has, has presented to you there. You're, you're basically saying, the minister said, I was misinformed, but it was unintentional. She was threatened to resign, so I sent her the letter. I summoned her, to, she said her letter of censure, summoned her to a meeting, and then thought, I'll go on prime time and I'll talk about this anyway. And to be clear, she did make it very clear that she went on prime time, and when she arrived at prime time, the team there were not aware that this story was about to unfold, that the minister had been informed, but that her team seemed to inform primetime that this story was about to be unfolded, therefore inviting the questions, I suppose, that she was eventually asked about whether or not she could have confidence in a chair who had misinformed well, her. Sorry, just to be clear, her team, as she put it, uh, didn't respond to queries that day uh, about this issue. So she deliberately uh, avoided responding to questions uh, about this issue before she went on prime time and decided, I want to handle it this way. Uh, so that's that was her decision to go down that route. Uh, what, what came across uh, again today is this naivety where she's trying to say, uh, she says, I didn't know when you go on national television and express all sorts of disappointment and criticism of a state board chair that you're asked, to, would you have uh, confidence in them? There seems to be this bad judge of character where she doesn't seem to realise that, that Shun Nirali is a substantial person and doesn't want to be scolded like a, a school child. And then this indecision where she's, she's saying, oh, well, I want her to talk to me tomorrow, but I can't talk to her tonight. I mean, throughout the day, from 11 o'clock in the morning to half day at night, she never once picked up the phone to Shun Nirali. She didn't. Her secretary-general seemed to be relaying and, these and yet, messages and over and back. keeps on telling us the direct line of communication to the minister is the chair. So is that how bad a relationship that she had with the chair that is in the key state agency under her remit that she couldn't, didn't even have the common courtesy to pick up the phone and say, listen, I've got an issue here. And I've heard David Davenport, what she could have said, I hear, chair, you've taken this very badly. I hear, hey, I hear you've said you're not willing to take this letter of censure. Let's not go any further right now. Let's try and draw a line on this before I go on prime time tonight and effectively sack you. So did she want the chair gone? Had the relationship between the two of them broken down? I find it hard to believe that the minister didn't know what the consequences of her actions would be. I'm equally baffled by the fact that Shuni Rahali may have irritated and annoyed the minister on a, a couple of occasions but it certainly wasn't a hanging offence for the chair of a state board that was in such a crucial situation. The other thing I'll say is that I think that um, uh, Catherine Martin is at the gap tonight. I think it wasn't a bad performance. Uh, she let slip this detail that was tic-tacking between herself and Schooner uh, rally, and she effectively knew what the consequence of her actions would be. The third point I, I would make is that there's quite an astonishing survey in the Irish Times yesterday, which shows that public interest in this story fell off a cliff once uh, Ryan Trubberty uh, ceased being the focus and the focus moved to corporate governance. The story flatlined since then. There were a couple of pulses the odd time when personalities got involved and when Brito O'Keefe's payoff came centre stage. But by and large, mm -hmm. I think the government would be happy that, number one, Catherine uh, Martin put in a, a fairly solid performance 
and that things are about to move on. Well, in fairness, I would agree with you, but I think the government brought this story back front and centre last Thursday by effectively dismissing Shuni Rally back on air. I take your point on what Catherine Martin did succeed in doing uh, with her political maladroitness is to shift the focus onto the government when it had been firmly on towards EE. That was not a welcome development for ministers. But by and large, uh, I don't see this as a threat. It's an election year. Catherine Martin will not be sacrificed, not least because there's no Green uh, who wants to step up and take the job. Uh, NASA, was it an error of judgment to handle us the way she did, to go on primetime last week and dismiss Shuni Rally the way she did? I think ultimately the role, as it's described in the Iraqis committee tonight... Shuni Rahili, that that was not a viable role any longer. The relationship had completely broken down as far as I can see. Um, And as the minister said herself, she could not rely on the information she was receiving from her key point of contact in the middle of a crisis in our public broadcasting. Effectively, that role then is at an end. And I think we can we, we can dance on the head of a pin or, but, you know, I, I understand that people are interested in the drama of how it played out, but ultimately how it played out is neither here nor there. Well, that but, role but, was no, over. To be clear, that role she, was fed, over. she fed the drama. They could have had the meeting. They could have come to an agreement. She could have stepped away. She fed the drama by going on primetime before she spoke to the chair and dismissing her. Did she handle that properly? Well, she said today in the Oireachtas Committee that she felt she had booked prime time. She doesn't do it very often. She wanted to, you know, con- maintain that booking. Personally, I'm not quite as polite as Catherine Martin. I would have cancelled that booking. But You would have cancelled that booking, so you wouldn't have gone on prime time that night and dismissed Shuni Raleigh the way she did. I think what it comes down to is, would you pick up the phone? And I actually think that the reason she gave for not doing that was a very reasonable way of, of explaining it, which is that we're talking now about who knew when, what, when about remuneration. And the reason we don't really know what happened is because of phone calls. And what she wanted to do was get in a room with those people face-to-face, including her own officials, and make sure that everything was noted properly. So that is but, why okay. she, she waited. And she, in fairness, but to be clear, that she, was she sent never... an, an invitation and there was no answer. But to be clear, it was, should have been clear to the minister that that meeting was never going to happen, given the fact that the chair had said to her secretary general, there's a, I, there's a possibility I'm going to quit here if I'm sent this letter, which is going to scold me for making the mistake the that m- I put my hands up and admitted to. The moment to. the chair said that, her role was unviable. Um, to come to you, Matt Carthy, the defence here all evening from the minister was, I couldn't rely on the chair and that this wasn't a one-off, <clears throat> this misinformation that she'd been given around whether or not the remuneration committee had signed off on the exit package for uh, Richard Collins, that misinformation wasn't a one-off. There was misinformation about D Forbes. She hadn't told her um, prior to coming into a committee that she'd asked for her resignation. And there was also sort of misinformation which she admitted around Rory Coveney's package. She, the minister, believed that he had resigned. Actually, he didn't really resign. He also got an exit package. So her defence was, look, I couldn't rely on my chair here. I had no choice. So... In fairness to the minister, I think she was right to be frustrated, even angry at the fact that she was given incorrect information at, at, at meetings by the chair of a, of a state board. Um, that's where my sympathy for Catherine Martin ends because the way in which she dealt with that was entirely inappropriate and reached the point of being utterly unmannerly in terms of how you deal with somebody who 
out of all of the debacles we've seen in the, in the past year, and this was reflected across all political representatives in the committee, Shuna Rahali is considered to be one of the people that has actually come out of all of this with integrity. She took on a role, a very difficult job, and waived her remuneration for that job. When, you're, when we're talking about all these people who had oversaw the crisis and walked away with hundreds of thousands of euros of public money in payouts, um, we had somebody who was actually willing to step up to the mark, take on a very difficult um, um, job, purely driven by a sense of public service. That is somebody who I think we want to emulate across state bodies, not to see a minister going on national television and publicly rebuking and essentially sacking live okay, on air. That said, is not the, the way to do it. The minister said in the, at the committee this evening, I had to be truthful in that interview with Primetime. That was her defence. I'm asking for transparency. I couldn't go on Primetime and, and, and lie. Well, what the minister did, and I'm not accused, certainly wouldn't accuse her of lying, but she did not divulge the full truth of the matter. She did not say that uh, invitation to Shuna Rahali to attend a meeting was sent exactly two hours before, um, before the um, programme aired. She did not indicate that she knew at that stage that by sending that letter she was essentially going to force Shuna Rahali's resignation because she had given it. She had not indicated at all that there was a myriad of conversations that took place that day between Shuna Rahali and various officials within her department and that none of those conversations actually involved the minister herself picking up the phone because regardless of the misdemeanour in terms of failing to give the correct information at meetings, the one thing that Shuna Rahali did was do her best, I would, in, I, I would contend, in terms of the job. And the least she deserved, in my view, was a phone call to be informed that the minister intends to publicly humiliate her live on national television. Nasa? But sure, that's a that's a ten part mini series. What you're describing, she was asked a question and she tried not not no, no. to say that no, no, she, 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 she gave the question to the she gave the question to RT to ask a question. We had just listened to three hours of questioning mm. and we have barely covered all of those issues. And Deputy Carty is then saying, "Well, why didn't you say all of that in prime time?" No, that, I'm not. That's a big lie. No, 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 no. That's what I'm saying she, at she, all. To be clear, to be clear, and she said it in in the meeting. Her advisors briefed prime time on the story. Well, as she said in the Oireachtas Committee, she was told as she was going into prime time that it, this was about to break. Now, as you know, here there are researchers and they would be advising people on the floor of breaking news and it was quite likely that a question was going to come in. Oh, no, and it's also highly likely, I would say, that ministers would come on a programme and hope that the team and the presenters don't know of this oh, breaking 100%. news story and that yeah. they get out the door without having to you know, publicly um, sack somebody. Fiona, there was another person um, who was spoken about a lot, particularly in the first, I think, half of the committee uh, meeting today, and that was Kevin Backhurst, who was obviously in the room with Shuni Rally for those um, two meetings on Monday and Wednesday when Shuni gave the wrong information to the minister. Um, Shane Cashels said that it was wrong that the minister would have confidence in the DG, but not have confidence in the chair, given the fact that we are to assume that the DG knew what Shuni Rahali was saying was incorrect. And he didn't. He didn't put her right. Yeah, the, the point that, that uh, Shane Castles, Michal Carrigy and Matthew McGrath were raising was, is he not guilty of the same crime that you were so mortally offended by uh, against Shuni Rahali that you decided to humiliate her on national television, send her a letter, letter of censure and summon her to a meeting. 
And the minister's response was, my line of communication is with the chair. That's the same chair that she doesn't know her telephone number because she can't ring her. So, yeah, this is, this is the issue now. Kevin Mackers did know, we know, because he was the man who brought it to the remuneration committee. He outlined the, the process himself. There's a mediation process that's dealt with, with by the HR department. That then goes to the Secretary General. That then goes to the remuneration uh, committee brought mm. by him. We know he, he attended that meeting. So when she was directly asked today, did Kevin Backer sit silently in, that, in those meetings? When Shuni Raleigh said there was no board involvement, and did, did he sit there and say nothing? And she said that was correct. He, he, didn't, he didn't open his mouth. But that, that, that's a ridiculous line of argument. I mean, if, if Finan, not from you, Finan, but from... Uh, uh, from the minister, that her direct line is with the chair, more, not more, the DG. More that was so from Shane Castles and his colleagues. I mean, uh, if you're in a meeting, Finan, with your editor-in-chief in public and he misspeaks, you're not going to rebuke him in public. You'll say to him afterwards, look, you might want to clear that up. And that's exactly what... Ba- I'm, I'm not defending Kevin Backhurst. Mm. It's just there on the record. Kevin Backhurst apparently drew it to the attention of Shunli I'm not a spokesperson for RTE, but this is what they say. And that she then lifted the phone to the minister to clarify things. Um, You know, I mean, actually, I think politically, uh, the dogs that aren't barking here are the opposition parties. The Social Democrats are effectively backing up the minister. Uh, There's no call from Sinn Féin for her resignation. And there's a slightly pathetic whimper from Labour saying that the uh, the minister might think of resigning. I'm not quite sure what the call is from Labour, to be honest, at this point. Yes, it is. We're maybe speaking to Marie Sherlock in the next half of the I think the point I would make is that the opposition don't really smell fresh blood here. Do you not... Oh, I think the minister isn't, doesn't have a handle on this, has never had a handle on, on these issues at and all. And you don't have confidence as, in her? Uh, I have no confidence in this government. And I think the very okay. fact that no, the no, other that's political... Not that's that's the other an out, isn't it? No, I mean, you do have the possibility here, if you wanted, you could put down a motion of no yeah. confidence in a minister that you have no confidence in, yeah. a minister who's overseeing a huge and existential crisis at our public service broadcaster, and you're choosing not yeah, to To be so. quite frank, if we Why? were to bring forward motions of no confidence in every incompetent minister, so we will be doing nothing else only bringing forward motions of no confidence in this government. You did it and it didn't work. You you did it with Helen McIntyre a few weeks ago, didn't you? Is that the reason? Is Is there a fear that failed, that backfired... There's no, there's no public appetite for no, blood here. Let's be clear, and I disagree with David on, on this point. There are as many unanswered questions tonight as there were before um, Catherine Martin set foot in that, that committee, and we will be demanding answers to those questions. But no motion of no confidence? Not at this time, no. OK, not ruling it out, or...? Just no, I'll like never that. rule anything out. What I'm saying is that Catherine Martin still has an, um, questions to answer, because at the end of the day... RTE is a publicly owned company um, for which there has been huge mismanagement of those public funds um, for which it has been entrusted. And there is a need for absolute transparency and accountability. And at the end of the day, government have to grab it by the scruff of the neck and they have not been in control of this situation. And the minister's response every single time an issue has arose has been to point the finger at somebody else. It's always somebody else's fault and it's never her responsibility. And that's why I think most of the public have made up their mind that this government do not have um, have control over what's been happening uh, in RTE. Fiona, there were some attempts by some of those present at the committee today to establish what the department knew about the role of the remuneration committee and when they knew it, right? There's been a hair split over this for the last couple of weeks, but this was actually essentially really important. Did the department know prior to the minister asking the question 
of Junior Rally that the remuneration committee would have had to sign off on Richard Collins's package. Did we get clarity on that? Well, we got some fairly forensic questioning from... Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Brendan Griffin of Fine Gael about the terms of reference for the remuneration committee and the, the guidance that was provided by RTE to the department last November uh, on, on, this, on this issue. And the answer he seemed to get back was, well, we only read that last week. I mean, that, that basically, in a nutshell, seemed to be, seemed to be the answer. And it, it does go back to the point here that this seems to be a department that's pretty sleepy. A minister is pretty disinterested. When something becomes controversial, she suddenly shows great interest in it. She's told last April, we've just hired one of the biggest accountancy firms in the country and one of the biggest legal firms in the country to investigate two rogue invoices. OK, no problem, lads. Sure, get back to me when that's back. No questions asked. Mm. Middle of the summer, uh, the person who was in charge of Toy Show the Musical leaves RTE. The minister says tonight she only found out last week that there was a payoff there. That was this was Rory Coveney. That, but that was obvious last July. I mean, Kevin Backer's actually answered that question last July. Uh, he didn't divulge how much, but he made it plain as day. So did the minister not ask at the time? So these guys who have gone. Uh, likewise with Breed O'Keefe, last summer we find out that, that she got uh, a redundancy payment and that there was an issue there. Again, only raising issues now about departures. I mean, why the Richard Collins thing happened in October and she's only asking questions in the last week. Uh, you know, she did the odd time, David Davenport, when she was asked to detail about that. She would say, that's an operational manager. Man, uh, an operational manner, rather, Better, for yeah. um, for the Director General. It's not up to me as a minister to ask that level of detail. Yeah, but Catherine Licken, the former um, um, General Secretary, uh, a, diligent, a diligent and hard-working official, uh, took the phone call from Shunira Ali. Uh, she can't recall whether there was any detail sought or given about Richard Collins's package. I'm, I, I struggle with that that she wouldn't, being the insightful person she is, say, well, what exactly are the details? The minister might need to know, but we don't know. I, and I, su- I actually suspect that in that instance, because the, the minister's narrative is that Shuna Rahali rang the Secretary-General and essentially said that the process is, has been concluded and that nobody then asked, well, what was the conclusion of the process? And my suspicion is that the department were probably aware that this involved a payout and were 
quite happy not to be informed. Of Better yeah, not to know. Sorry, this, this yeah, also no, includes people's employment contracts and the deals that they make with their employer. And as the minister said today, when she was asked, what are all your staff in the department doing? She said, well, I could have 100,000 staff and they can't break the law. And the law is telling us, and my legal advice is telling us, that we cannot break those okay, contracts. But she, but she knows, she admitted. No, no, the only way you could know you're breaking the law if you knew that there was a confidentiality right. agreement. Yeah. And in order to know that, you have to ask, what was yeah. the conclusion of the process? And that be question, clear, apparently, according to, to the minister, clear, wasn't actually asked. She, I mean, if she she didn't know it last July, she does know it now. It has been so released to her now. But it has. But she repeated a number of times. It has been repeated a number of times that there there is employment law here. There are contractual issues involved here that we can't just ride roughshod over. But has it not been a a defence, NASA, all along for the minister? I wasn't given that information. I didn't receive that information. As a minister, you're not meant to ask questions. Do you not need to show curiosity when there is a I, huge I crisis at we, your We have your state to put this into context, right? We're at uh, committee session 11 now, which is over 30 hours of evidence. I started looking at the documents and gave up after about the 300 pages. Like, there is a huge amount of information now coming from RT. I'm not sure if it's making RT more transparent. I think we're actually drowning now in the information. And unsurprisingly, I think things are being lost. Well, did the minister help the situation? Today? And last Thursday? That's a good question. I, I do think that that role was at an end. And uh, I think if, if you have a chair who will not speak to the minister, who won't accept a letter from the minister and won't come to a meeting, that, that role is over. Well, she, she would have perhaps spoken to the minister if the minister had called her. Well, the minister invited her and, and didn't receive an answer. I forgot um, to I mean, it's, it's fairly simple now. RT are in a worse position than they were this time. That's last right. Week. That's they had right. a perfectly good chair in place that's who right. for 18 months was getting to the bottom of what was going on in that organisation for to be years fair, beforehand. To be fair, and she was giving her minister... Her she was not giving her the correct information. She He's, was. And, and then the minister did go the, out well, and brief the media with the second. wrong information. She so does that, have me, to be able to rely on the chair in fairness. Just to be clear here, what the minister is, is accusing the chair of doing was keeping a secret of the process in line with correct corporate governance that she herself had put in place of which there were minutes, of which there were records, of which she had informed her department. And Catherine Martin decides, there's a vast conspiracy here against me because Shuni Rahli had gone about her job in the correct manner. And just because she didn't give her the right answer in, in a meeting where a vast number of issues, as you say, came up and actually came back and confessed that I should have told you this yesterday, but in fact I was mistaken, Oh, the minister says, oh, we have to scold her now, have to put manners on her. She was either going to humiliate her in prime time last Thursday night, or she was going to humiliate her in four weeks' time when the letter would come out under FOI. Or maybe it would have been leaked at the weekend, one okay. or the other. The one question looks now, I suppose, she's going to do David, it. is the minister safe? Yes, I think so. Uh, I'm interested um, to hear uh, um, NASA's comments. I, I wonder, do the so- Social Democrats think that uh, the minister did anything wrong? Because it seems to me that the position has moved in behind her now, listening to your comments there. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly no call for resignations from our friend here. Our Labour have been on us to say they are clear in their position. Her position is untenable, is yes. what they're saying. Well, it's, I think it's... Um, if, if that's the best they can do, I wouldn't be too worried if I was Catherine Martin. Um, do you still have faith in Catherine, Manor, uh, Catherine Martin, rather, in her leadership, in her ability? 
This is to me. I oh, absolutely yes. do. Yeah, I have full confidence in Catherine. I think she's been an, a very good minister for the arts. I think RTE is a legacy issue and it is chaotic. Um, but I, I note that she said that we want to get the reports in in middle of March and have a decision on that long-term funding and way forward mm. by the summer. I mean, I think if we got it out the door do you, by the end of this government, we'd be doing well. Do you think that's going to happen, uh, David Davenport? Not, not in a million years. This is a job for the next government. And any minister you talk to will, 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 will say the same. All right. Uh, do stay with us because uh, after the break, we will be going back to um, Gavin, who will be speaking to some members of that media committee. So do stay with us. Well, let's go back over to our political correspondent, Gavin Riley, who's live at Leinster House for us tonight. Gavin? Kira, thank you very much. That meeting of the Oireachtas Media Committee ran on about half an hour behind schedule, so members are literally only coming out of committee room two now. Uh, one of the members who was at all of that committee is Labour Senator Marie Sherlock. Um, Marie, your party had expressed in advance of this that you had no confidence in Catherine Martin. Are you any more assured after what you've heard? Well, I think I'm even more bewildered this evening. Like, effectively, the Minister has told us that she accepts that the uh, mistakes made by Shuni Rahalig last week were unintentional. Um, she then uh, went ahead and issued a letter on the Thursday expressing disappointment, even though she knew that that letter was probably going to prompt the disappointment or the, the resignation of Shuni Rahalig. And she doubled down again by going on air that evening. And I think there's a whole series of questions now as to why the minister was telling the public that there was going to be a meeting on Friday morning when the reality is that meeting was never going to take place. Is it not fair enough, though, to be writing a letter to a chair, as you, you heard her say herself in the meeting this evening, she can't possibly go around uh, doing press conferences and addressing the public if the chair is giving her the wrong no, information. But the minister, but, the, but the, the chair clarified on Thursday morning, like this is the thing, there was an unintentional mistake, she clarified on Thursday morning and yet the minister d persevered with her course of action. Look, I think the bigger, the, big, the bigger issue for me this evening is that the failure of the minister and indeed her officials and she has a whole broadcasting and media unit within her department tasked with looking at the whole of the broadcasting sector and specifically RTE and that none of them asked questions about any of the exit packages relating to those high profile departures from last year. The so when the recovery goes last July, when Richard Collins goes last October, when they receive more documents in November but about the new duties of directors, nobody asks any nobody questions. Nobody asks any questions and the reality is that RTE is in receipt of a state bailout. You know, was in receipt of state bailout prior to the crisis emerging last June and of course that money had to be upped last, at the end of last year and there's another 40 billion that's due to come this year and all the time we hear the government saying oh we need to see reforms happen before we can give more money but they're not even asking questions about the packages that were that were undertaken or given for, for high profile departures and the reality is there was an excuse given this evening oh we got a whole load of documents in November and they weren't even categorised properly like to be honest the whole thing is just even becoming more farcical now and I have a very big concerned that whenever the new chair comes in and, and, and any potential new chair will be saying well how will an issue in future be dealt with okay. with the minister? Yeah, we have to go back to the studio but are you now going to consider a motion of no confidence if you are even more bewildered now about the minister's position? Well look we've been extremely clear right there's 13,500 people homeless there's 4,000 children living in homeless accommodation tonight there's thousands of children waiting for disability assessment
assessments. We're not going to be wasting our time, our precious time, in the dollar, Shannon, calling for motions no confidence. Like the reality is, okay. the government need to get a grip on this crisis and ensure that RT is right. on a sound footing. Okay, Marie Sherlock, thank you very much for joining your time. I know it's very, very late. Uh, Kira, back to you in studio. I hope to be joined in a few minutes by Neve Smith, the chair of the committee. Thanks, Gavin. Nasa Hurricane, are you for surprised that uh, members of the opposition aren't putting down motions of no confidence in this minister? Well, I suppose surprise is the wrong word. I, I mean, I, I followed the bluster at the end of last week um, from particularly Labour on this issue. I suppose I was expecting a, a motion of no confidence. Usually when you go down that road, you, you, finish, you, know, you finish your journey. So it, it is odd. I, I'll be honest with you there. Um, but I suppose I, I would like to come back to something that, that uh, Senator Sherlock said there around the unintentionality. And I, and I think... You know, there's a reality here in terms of like how we operate, both politically and in any organisation, which is it doesn't really matter if the information was unintentionally wrong. If you can't rely on the information you're being supplied with through your key contacts, then, then what are you to do? Unintentionality doesn't come into it. OK, let me just... Oh, um, we'll go back to Gavin in a couple of minutes. Um, given what's happened with previous ministers, uh, Fiona, if you look back at other ministers that have had to, to resign, do you think the minister is lucky by the timing all, of all of this? Is she lucky to survive this? She's lucky that she's in the Green Party and Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael can't do without them and Eamon Ryan can't do without her because then... 49% of the, the Green Party members are, are fed up uh, with him because he's thrown her under the bus. So she's, she's, she's staying put uh, as, as a result of that. I mean, if anything, I'd say there's been a lot of eyebrows raised probably in, in the last week about the manner in which he handles uh, complicated crises. OK, let me just go back to uh, Gavin Reilly because he has the chair of the committee, committee with him there now. That's right, Kira. Now I'm joined by Neve Smith, the chair of the Oireachtas Committee on Tourism and Media. Uh, Neve, a very long session. We learned a lot. In truth, what jumps out for you about what we did, we hear this evening? Good evening, Gavin. Well, I suppose we did a lot of interrogation around who knew what when uh, in those critical hours since the primetime interview. But we also delved a little bit into, I suppose, the role of the officials in the department and who knew what. I myself delved into a little bit on the exit packages, which I think is of real interest to people. Uh, asking the question, we learned that uh, Mr. Coveney resigned. That while he resigned, he got an exit package. And following on from that, I asked about D Forbes, even though she resigned, did she get an exit package? The Minister, I'm happy to confirm, to confirm to me that no, she didn't. But okay. I also was interrogating other issues, for example, Mr. Nally, who also exited RT, and I understand what a package. Uh, one thing that was remarkable, we were talking to Marie Sherlock about this a moment ago, is how incurious the officials within the department seemed to be. That when they knew that Rory Coveney was gone last summer, when they knew that Richard Collins was gone, when they were sent tranches of new documents in November, nobody seemed to be picking up the phone and asking RTE whether these take effect, or by the way, was there any oversight of this? Yeah, and I think that certainly caused a lot of. Um, I Bryce raised tonight at the committee hearing in terms of what the role of the officials were and I would have understood before tonight's meeting I would have thought that listening to the Minister speak about this that this was the Minister the DG and the Chair that were in the room when in actual fact the Minister said tonight there was probably six or eight, seven people in the room including her officials and 
a lot of my colleagues did contend that not only was the chair in the room who didn't recall uh, having these remuneration uh, or these packages mm. approved at remuneration, but also the DG, also um, officials from the department were also that meeting, and nobody said, actually, Minister, there's, there's been and, approval for these. And does that raise questions then for you, and as likely to be a matter that you might still want to pursue with them? It may be, and Deputy Griffin raised tonight the standing invitation that we would be uh, affording to Shuni Rahali and others as well. So I do think there's a bit to go on this. Okay, uh, a bit to go, and it's been a long night already, so we will let you go. Neve Smith, thank you very much for joining yeah. us on tonight's show. Back to you in studio, Kira. Thanks, Gavin. We're going to have to leave that conversation uh, there for now. My thanks to Matt, to Hyunan and to David. NASA is going to be staying with me because next we debate EU plans to remove the aviation fuel tax exemption. What could it cost consumers? You're very welcome back. Well, Green Party today, Nasa Hurrigan is still here with me. And I'm also joined now by aviation journalist Owen Corrie from travelextra.ie because we're going to debate an EU plan to remove the tax exemption on aviation fuel. Airlines currently do not pay tax on jet fuel, but this is about to change under EU proposals. We ask, what will it all cost? So first of all, I suppose, Owen, to you, what is the justification for this exemption? It's there for a long, long time. It's an international agreement, Chicago Convention 1944. It was put in place to um, give, make sure that people weren't trying to pull fast ones in international aviation, that governments were trying to tax rival airlines out of it. And it's held its shape. Um, the but I suppose what's the justification? It was agreed, I think, back in that Chicago Convention that was back in the 1940s. We know a lot more now about the damage being done to the environment because of fuel, including jet fuel. So what is the justification for continuing with an exemption? It's the same as the reason it was introduced. To uh, There is a safety element. It, it keeps makes sure that airlines are paying the same for jet fuel all over the world, wherever they land, wherever they take off. Governments have been, since 1944, looking at ways to shake down aviation to try and tax them, to try and push rival airlines out. There's a lot of politicking. Uh, There were lots of attempts down the years to try and introduce, and everybody who's looked at it has backed away and said, it's unravelling this is going to be um, a little bit more complicated than we anticipated. Do you accept that, NASA, that this is going to be too complicated to do? No. I mean, we've just seen um, a corporation tax, a global corporation tax minimum um, introduced. And if we could get to an agreement on that, we can definitely do it on aviation fuel. The Chicago Convention um, that we're talking about here has been significantly revised eight times in its in its lifespan. And it also has about 19 annexes, which are constantly under revision. So it is possible to bring agreement. I think what's interesting here is the idea that the EU would show leadership because you can see the EU starting to do that with things. They're almost creating like a a carbon boundary around the EU. And so actually, I think if the EU moved on it and created within the single market um, uh, some kind of a tax on this, I think actually it would show leadership. And in the same way that, let's say, when the US and the EU came to agreement on the corporation tax, we saw that. I think it will happen. And I think it will happen because uh, the whole idea of the environment is costing government so much and most of our taxes on the environment are based on two principles. One is the, the 
the polluter pays. The person who creates the pollution or the group or the organisation that creates the pollution should pay for that pollution. Not the farmer down in Munster, not the guy in Cork who's been flooded three or four times, the actual polluter. And then the second one is that consumption taxes are fairer. That if we know what people are using, then it's an, we have an actual mechanism to tax them fairly so those people who can't pay won't and those who can do. So it has been unfair, therefore, that the polluter, the airline industries here, haven't been paying on Corrie when so many of us uh, have. Well, it's the same principle applies. <clears throat> you pay jet, airlines pay the same for jet fuel. Wherever they load and they land and take off in the world, they're not going to be shopping around, they're not going to be skipping uh, out of airspace, in and out of airspace. The reality is that everybody who's looked at this and uh, governments in Africa and Asia and all of this have been looking to try and tax this. They've gone for after the, um, the airline ticket. 33% of what you pay, uh, what you pay in an airline ticket goes in tax. In a lot of the and transatlantic flights, sometimes the tax is higher than what the airline gets. So while they haven't had the power to tax fuel, Taxing aviation has been something that's been uh, vigorously done, rigorously okay, done around so the world, including within the EU. Okay, so already been taxed quite vigorously. Would you no, agree no, no. That, In the same way that like, we pay motor tax and then we also pay fuel in our car, we mm. should be paying aviation taxes in lots of forms, but also aviation fuel tax. And let's not get it confused here. The aviation industry is undergoing incredible profits at the moment. Um, I think Ryanair made something like a 60% increase in, in their profits and certainly almost twice what they were making in 2019. Like, it, it is an incredibly profitable industry, we could raise taxes through aviation fuel and there would be absolutely no reason for the industry to raise ticket prices if they chose not to. Yeah, and haven't the CSO argued that this exemption has been worth about €5 billion Euro to the industry over the last decade? They've done very well under this, Owen Corrie. I'm not sure they have. The aviation industry has lost a hell of a lot of money. You talk about Ryanair's profits. They took a hit of €2 billion during the pandemic. Uh, it's interesting. They made 2 billion last year. And they, they didn't make two billion last year, but they, they took, they're still chasing the hit they made over the pandemic. But back to uh, Kira's question here. The, um, she, there are lots of ways of, of, of uh, getting money, of, of taxing a, uh, the airline ticket without going after that key uh, jet fuel. Because but why? Because if I go to fill up my tank with petrol or diesel as the consumer of that fossil fuel, I pay a specific tax on that. Why does the airline, when they go to fill up with their jet fuel, get away with not paying a tax apples and oranges, on their fossil fuel? Apples and oranges. In you what don't, way? You're, you're not subject to consumers. an international agreement. You're not a, an industry that brings uh, 1.3 trillion of uh, foreign direct investment into Ireland. If anybody is... Uh, bringing is involved in propping up the economy or bringing that boost to the economy. They're doing deals with revenue committers. It's not within the EU's remit. They can start taxing the EU airlines. But then we have this uneven playing field that the Chicago, the whole point of the Chicago Convention, very simple, was to avoid exactly what the EU are proposing doing. And the EU have the power. They have actually decided in 2003 that domestic flights can be taxed. It's very interesting. That would apply to the Kerry and Donegal flights, which are being subsidised in Ireland. And one government, one country did that and then changed their mind. It's the same country that the EU Climate Commissioner comes from that is making this uh, proposal at the moment. Um, isn't there a difficulty here, NASA, that if the EU introduce this tax, that those airline industries will just pass it on to the consumers, that the customers price that they pay for the tickets will just go up. 
Do I think that the aviation industry is capable of profiteering off any increase? Absolutely, I do. But ultimately, ultimately, ultimately will the customer pay more? There is absolutely no need for the customer but to pay more. In the, in the but reality, the, the, the reality is that 4% of emissions in the EU are created by the aviation industry. And Michael O'Leary isn't <laughs> going to come down and pay for the flood defences down in Cork. Michael O'Leary is not going to pay for all of the impacts that ordinary people are going to experience from climate. The polluter should pay, and that's the aviation industry. Yeah. And that is true, isn't it? I think it's 3.8% of all greenhouse gas emissions within the EU come from the aviation industry. The polluter is not paying for that. Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, there's loads of figures floating around. 2% is what the uh, emissions are from the aviation industry worldwide. You would actually think it was 82% the way aviation is being held up and targeted as the, the but, chief polluter. The first thing I don't that would think happen, anybody in fairness has said it's the chief polluter. They're just saying there should be fairness across the board. It's interesting. Like, if you quantify the coverage of climate emissions, it tends to come back to aviation. It's been, it's been surveyed that this is what shows up in, in, in national media. What would happen if it happened in Ireland is that most of our tra air traffic would move to Belfast. We'd have 30 million going through Belfast, 5 million through uh, Dublin every right. year instead of the other way around. That's exactly what would happen. OK, look, we're going to have world. to leave that conversation there for now. My thanks to Owen Corrie uh, and to uh, Nasa Hurrigan. Uh, that's it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts. But from the late team here, good night. Take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.